In this special bonus episode of The Secret Life of STEM, our reporter on the ground, Sylvie Van Wall, visited two key STEM events on the campus of the University of Melbourne, the Year 10 Spaghetti Machine Challenge and the Engineering Master's Students Endeavour Exhibition. Let's hear what she discovered. That's on that side. Okay. So can you explain what the spaghetti machine competition is? Well, at first we actually thought we had to make it our spaghetti. So we have a bit there. We have a bit there. But then it was about a June Goldberg's. Room Goldberg. Room Goldberg. Which is an overly complex machine which performs a simple function. The spaghetti machine is um, a huge machine with like different components, individual components, that's made to do one task. So it's like a competition where all the year 10s come and build a machine that shows a lot of energy transformations and energy changes in like a limited amount of time using like recyclable materials. Honestly, at the beginning, I thought it was a machine that makes spaghetti. <laughs> but um, gradually, we started to understand that it was kind of just using our imagination and creativity to basically make anything that we can in order to get to that goal, which is kind of how I interpret it, because, you know, spaghetti, bendy, you can do whatever you want. It's probably got some other meaning, but that's how I interpreted it, yeah. So, Sylvie, sum it up for us. Well, technically, they're all correct. A spaghetti machine is an Italian term for an overly complex machine or device that is used to perform a relatively simple task. You may be more familiar with the Rube Goldberg machine. Ah, Rube Goldberg. Now, he did cartoons of zany engineering inventions like a really complex mousetrap. That's right. So every year, Year 10 students from across Victoria are invited to participate in Melbourne University's annual Amazing Spaghetti Machine Contest. Students work in teams and put their maths, science, engineering and project management skills to the test. They have five months to design, plan and build their machines before demonstrating their creations on campus at the University of Melbourne on Judging Day. Awesome. Okay, and how did you get involved? Uh, well, we all came up with ideas in the start. So someone said that we should use some chemical change or we should have a hydraulics machine or like different things. And we just combined all of it into this three-dimensional model. We do this competition every single year, our school, because STEM is an elective for the year 10. So um, there's 20 of us and we're in one class and this is one of our main projects for the year. And it took us about three months to create. And this is basically the biggest highlight of our year, coming to this competition and taking part in it. Why is that? I think it's because, especially when we think of STEM, we normally think of like engineering and making stuff. And I feel like our teachers wanted us to get involved in competitions like this to see what different people are capable of doing. Like these different schools, we all have different ideas. And it's just really cool. And I feel like we just really want to be part of it. Nice work. And what made you choose STEM as an elective? STEM, I did STEM last year in the year nine. Uh, I'm pretty sure this whole class did STEM last year in the year nine too. I think last year led me to believe that STEM, it's more hands-on and we get to make stuff, we get to build stuff and all that. And it's really exciting to be a part of that and it's really fun doing something like this. And I think that's why I wanted to be part of STEM. Cool. Okay, so can you take me through it now? Can you, can you just explain what it's actually going to do and how it's going to do that. Uh, Emma can take you through it from that side. Okay, yep. great. 
Well, the goal was to um, raise the flag and we wanted to keep it very, you know, as environmentally friendly as possible. So we used a lot of the same materials as they used last year in our, like our school and the same kind of materials. So we don't really have a theme going on, I don't think. It's just more like wooden stuff, but yeah. And how's it going to do that? Well, so at the start with the Ferris wheel, in the batteries is stored chemical energy. Then when you flick it on with the switch, it really changes it to electrical energy. And how does it do that? Uh, I think it uses it to kickstart the electrons in the wire, which then move back and forth. And then it pulls the vinegar out of, into that the kinetic energy. Machine. Yeah. It pulls the vinegar into the orange orange funnel, and then it goes down in this bicarb soda, and then that creates a chemical reaction which releases carbon dioxide, and we have a valve in the tube so that the air can only go one way into the balloon, which then uses kinetic energy to move this. Oh no, sorry. And then that goes down, down there, which is potential energy. And then the denominator is kinetic energy as it moves. Then it hits the car as well, still kinetic. And we have a chopstick on the car, which then pushes a bucket, which has a ball in it. And when it and it has gravitational potential energy, which lets it go down. It travels down the side, and then it hits a mouse trap, an actual mouse trap, and that pulls a stick that releases the marble, which travels down our spiral, and then that hits. And then we ha it hits another stick, which the kinetic energy releases a marble, which goes down and knocks a car off, which is gravitational potential energy. And then the tugging of that pulls more weights off, which raises the flag. And we have the marble fall through a hole in the tubing to play the xylophone, which releases sound energy. Wow. Awesome. All right, let's get some sound of that going off. Right. Are we ready? Yeah. Wow, <laughs> I love the xylophone, that's a great touch. <laughs> Why do you think your machine should win? What's unique about it? What's unique about it? Well, I don't really know. I feel like it's got a lot of energy transformations. It fits well in the time. It's got a theme which I feel is very relevant to today's day and age. And it's got, yeah, a lot of interesting um, objects and a lot of reused objects which is part of the criteria as well. And to the ordinary person that doesn't understand science, what's an energy transformation? Energy transformation is when a form of energy changes from one form to another, so from gravitational to kinetic, something like that. So gravitational when it could fall or something like that, or kinetic to moving, like kinetic is moving, sorry. So you're making science cool? Yeah, we're making science really cool. Do you think it was cool before or it needed your help? Um. I think it was cool before because there's like so many parts of science like I'm just so fascinated by it like especially physics behind this too and the gears and like the different energy transformations it's really cool do you hope to be studying STEM in the future yeah okay, what do you think you'll get into I want to do engineering uh, I don't know what type <laughs> and how about you um, I'd love to go into more physics so probably something in astrophysics. And for people looking to get into those two fields, would you recommend doing this competition as a way to boost their chances? Absolutely. Yeah. Why is that? Well, it really helps. Is it yeah, fun? It's, fun. <laughs> it's really fun. And it helps you get a better understanding 
of physics and what you need to know and it can be really helpful in your classes. And it's taught in a new environment so instead of just learning about it you can also use it in real life situations. And yeah. your teacher doesn't help so you have to do everything yourself and you have to really understand it to be able to make something happen. That's true independence, right? Yeah. yeah. Very practical. <laughs> And why do you think something like this is important for students interested in STEM? Oh, the teamwork is amazing, the collaboration, the communication, that sort of thing. It gives the kids a wonderful creative opportunity. If they're not engaged in their core subjects, this can be the outlet that they, that they really can excel and they can find out that, oh, actually I have a real interest in this sort of thing, whether it's the mechanics, the, the actual just um, working with, well, for this case we've worked with a lot of timber, plywood, that sort of stuff, even to the, you know, the flag, the design on the, the flag with the skull, that was their design to, to come up with that. So it gives the students lots of opportunity to do different elements of it. So they, they can really build on their strengths and weaknesses. Great. And there you have it. That was a brief guide to the Amazing Spaghetti Machine Competition 2019. Congratulations to all the schools involved. What do you reckon, Stemsters? Are you itching to build your own spaghetti machine this year? We'll pop a link to that competition page in our show notes. Now, on to the next competition. If you decide to study STEM at uni, good choice by the way, there's a whole host of opportunities that will come with it. And we've covered some of those in the previous episodes. We took a trip to the Endeavour exhibition as well, a showcase for STEM projects that solve real-world challenges featuring work by the final year master's students in engineering and IT from the University of Melbourne. Now, those students were probably once spaghetti machine engineers in the not-so-distant past. First up, we have Ella Guthrie, Uvini Mariah Paris. Isabella Oliver and Fujia Yang with their appropriate technologies for dehumidifying, cooling and ventilating. Or for the layperson, their air filter for Nepalese homes. So, can one of you explain to me what I'm actually looking at here in sort of visual terms for people that can't see this? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we have our, our model of our system. So we actually have, I guess it's a 15 litre plastic container that's connected to a pipe which we made out of cans and then on top of that pipe we have our can ventilator so it looks like the whirly birds those little spinny things that sit on top of buildings or on buses so it looks like that but it's made out of cans and then we also have a humidifier within the container and a bit of desiccant um, in this case it's silica to just show like yeah how the dehumidification process works and can you describe a little bit more about how it works in reality? Yeah, so um, the hair dryer is used to mimic the wind conditions that they experience and it encourages the airflow through one of the openings on the bottom left hand corner and the air flows straight through and is dehumidified by the silica and it goes out through the can turbine. Did you have to create this model in a sustainable way as well? Yeah, so our model, our design um, uses recycled um, aluminium cans and the idea was that um, our focus area in Nepal, they have a waste problem but they also have, they're quite isolated and so they have um, lack of access to resources and so we decided to build something out of the existing materials that creates something out of like existing waste products. So 
it's yeah that kind of element of sustainability. Well, I can see there's like recycled soft drink cans, I think, yeah. for the really bird chopsticks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Does it make a sound at all? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Essentially how we started was we elected to do a project with Engineers Without Borders and then we got a brief which is some kind of technology to ameliorate the heating, cooling, dehumidifying kind of sphere within rural houses in Nepal. We started out by looking more into a human-centred approach on how to go through it. So our brief was to have a low-tech, affordable, easy-to-implement kind of solution. So we started looking at what are the people in Nepal likely to be able to implement or what materials do they have? What things can we use to make this work for them? Yeah, I suppose we went into it with all these preconceived ideas of like what we were going to do. And and then it kind of, through research and then talking to people and a little bit of back and forth, we realised that designing for a different context is actually really, like really difficult because we're coming in it with our eyes, our engineering eyes, you know, in a completely different context. And then going into it and designing something that's both technically feasible and also culturally and socially feasible, yeah, was our main challenge. So we thought up a bunch of different ideas and we kind of did a bit of a test and we decided that instead of computer modelling our design, we were just going to build it. So we started, so we have two sections to our project. So one is um, focusing on dehumidifying and one's on cooling and sort of changing the air change rate within a building. So the air change rate one, we started making, I don't know if you know what a whirly bird is, but they're like those things on top of houses. Oh, yeah, that funny thing that looks like a sort of a little lantern that spins around. Yeah, yeah, yeah with it. the little slits in it. So we modelled our idea after that. And instead of making it out of the materials that you'd typically find, we made it out of aluminium cans, so like soft drink cans, things that there is in Nepal, like a waste product. And yeah, we just started finding it. Yeah. Yeah. So what does the whirly bird actually do in buildings when we see them? Something that we found through our um, research of the houses is that they've all got this really clever vernacular design, which means that they're all designed to promote airflow through the base of the building and then up through the the roof. And what the whirlybird does is it kind of enhances that process where it draws air up through the building and then out the top. Fantastic. Will you mm. try out your whirly bird in a Nepal house? I, I, I hope I'll get the opportunity to, yeah. Great. Yeah. What about back in year 10? What advice would you give yourselves back in year 10? Uh, I'll start with you, Bella. Ooh. I think if I went back to year 10, I would tell myself not to put so much pressure on myself. <laughs> um, everything that's happening in high school with ATAR and choosing subjects is really intense and mm. it may seem like the end of the world if you don't get the scores you need or the thing to like pass everything, but it's, I think, one of the best times of your life. You get to choose the subjects you want to do. You get to hang out with your friends and, yeah, we just take it easy, work hard and you'll, you'll feel the results, but don't push yourself too hard that your stress out of your mind. And if you're like Bella, you can tackle the maths. Yeah. You've just got to focus on it and grab the bull by the horns. Yeah, and don't be afraid to ask for help. I think that's a big thing. Everyone has different strengths. There's tutors out there. There's maybe family members, maybe friends. There's school teachers, people who can help you solve the problems that 
you know, you don't know how to solve. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Back to the competition. Here's the team behind the Smart Support Cane, a mobility aid for the blind that guides the user via vibrations. What is it about the project that you think is unique that will make sure that it wins awards? The Smart Support Cane is um, unique in the sense that in many ways. First of all, it is customer-centric, like it's socially benefiting the world, like 371.1 million people suffer from disability around the world and guide dogs cannot just be used anywhere. So we are trying to replicate the functions of a guide dog onto a smart cane and we may not be able to use this for because of allergies or maybe the cost of raising a guide dog is $35,000 which is borne by the Australian government here but this is not possible in other countries out there. So. That's one perspective. The other perspective is it's using brand new technology. It's using self-driving car technology in the sense that it uses a LiDAR sensor and not just any ordinary LiDAR sensor. It uses a solid state LiDAR sensor, which is something relatively new, just released in June, April, May this year. And we have integrated that to provide um, navigational feedback to users. So you've got a working model here, I yeah, see. Could we possibly have a look at that? <laughs> and you can talk me through how it's been made. Okay. So the working model is basically, we spoke to the visually impaired people, we conducted interviews, and we realized through talking to them, they told us they prefer vibrational feedback instead of audio feedback. Because audio feedback could be lost in crowded environments like this exhibition over here. There's everyone talking and we won't be able to hear audio feedback clearly but vibrational feedback. So that's what we've added to this. We provide, um, depending on whether the obstacle is on the left side or the right side, we have vibration motors which provide us feedback, respectively. And depending on how far the obstacle is, we have different vibration patterns with high intensity, medium intensity, and low intensity. And it's everything is done on a 3D printed case. And it's just a fix to a normal smart support, a small support cane which is used by the visually impaired people. So it's just a box which is attached to the cane. The other thing which we came across, came to know from the visually impaired users is they wanted it to last for the entire day because if they go out. So we have a battery which provides 8 hours battery life. So that's for the day's use for your recharge. So I can see it's connected to a cable here, which is leading into a computer, and it's showing me some sort of graphics and some code on the left that I don't really understand. Okay. So, how, <laughs> so how would you explain what's going on here? So we have a LiDAR sensor, as I told you. It's connected to the computer. So this captures images. So on this display, we can see what we're exactly seeing with the sensors currently seeing. So we can see, if I hold it onto the floor, it shows the floor, it shows the cane, and it shows people in front of it. So that's the display. On the other side of the monitor is printing, whether it's right, left, whatever the vibration motors are doing, it's just printing the statements, like whether it's left or right, high intensity, medium intensity. So it's a visual representation of what it's doing. Yeah. Hi everyone, my name is Andrea. I'm a student of electrical engineering at the University of Melbourne. Hi everyone, my name is Thomas Garcia. I'm also a student of electrical engineering here at the University of Melbourne. Hi, I'm Yamin, Yamin Almutaki. Surprise, also electrical engineering, University of Melbourne. All right, introduce me to your project, Tom. So our project is the Smart Support Cane. 
It's a cane for the visually impaired that uses a LiDAR sensor as opposed to the traditional ultrasonic sensors that will scan the environment and through our algorithm that we've created, give vibrational feedback to the user. Wow. Tell us a little bit more about LiDAR, Andrea. I'm not quite sure I know what that stands for. Okay. LiDAR is a sensor. So as students, we have heard of radar, sonar, LiDAR. LiDAR is light detection and ranging. And uh, it makes use of light waves to send. Uh, it's the LiDAR sensor sends out light waves and it hits object. And the reflected wave is detected by the LiDAR again. And the distance between the two is calculated depending on the time it takes for the wave to come back to the obstacle. Now, you've put this on a walking cane, is that right? Yes, true. Where on the walking cane is it? So, our smart support cane is a normal cane which is used by the visually impaired. We have built a housing on top of it, like a rectangular box. And we have attached the LiDAR at a particular angle facing the floor. I see. Tom, tell us more. Well, the case is 3D printed, and that houses our onboard processor, which we've used an Odroid N2, which is equivalent to like a Raspberry Pi. However, at the time that we started the project, had the most processing power for a handheld onboard computer. Wait, a Raspberry Pi? Yes. So a Raspberry Pi is a smaller onboard computer that you can use to stream videos, media, or do impressive engineering projects. Oh, okay. Now, you said that the cane gives you information through vibrations. Tell me about the different types of vibrations the person can feel. We have it set so that there's six vibrational motors on the handle. There's three on the left, three on the right. So if there's an obstacle coming from the left, it'll vibrate on the left, right, right. And there's different intensities to show how far away the object is. So three meters, two meters, one meter, and... Then they can also like vibrate up and down to show that there's stairs coming, going up or down. Wow. So, Tom, have you tested this? Yes. So, we've, we've tested each individual motor that it's able to function as it should. However, it all works through our algorithm. So, at the moment, we're still fine-tuning our algorithm to get all the motors running as they should be running. However, at the moment, we've just detected an object and it's vibrating the motors. So... Give advice to your year 10 selves. What Uh, would you say, Tom? (laughs) (laughs) Year 10 is when I actually first started enjoying math. Let's let's say that. It was when we started doing a lot of algebra and calculus. And at times, that's when, you know, you're either going to start to get really swamped down by it. And what, what are these letters doing in these numbers? However, you start to find that in the real world, you might actually have to deal with a lot of unknowns. And so that that's the real joy of of engineering so you'll formulate a sort of equation that you need to use but you won't know all the answers and through the empirical approach that scientists and engineers use to find what those unknowns are and what they should be so that's the real joy of it so if you're in year 10 stick it out a little bit longer there's applications to what you're learning it might be new and scary but you'll get there you'll find it and if you come into stem you'll have a lot of fun with it you mean Essentially what Tom said, like, I fell in love with math when calculus hit. Like, I liked it before, but then calculus was really just the best thing. Um, (laughs) You talk about it as if it's like your favorite food. (laughs) (laughs) It genuinely could be. Like, I love differential equations. (laughs) 
but to my year 10 self or to any year 10s listening, I'd just say, yeah, stick it out because the things you're learning right now, the calculus, the they're all just building blocks to something amazing. Thank you very much, Masters of Engineering students, Andrea, Tom, and Yamin. I wish you all the best with your Endeavour program project. You guys rock. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Thank you. That's it for now, Stemsters. But before we go for the very last time, we want to give a massive shout out to both Endeavour teams we interviewed. The Smart Support Cane crew, which won second place in the People's Choice Merit Awards, and the Dehumidifying, Cooling and Ventilating team, who won the Merit Award for Infrastructure Engineering. Well done to both of you. This is the final episode of The Secret Life of STEM. It's been inspiring to meet all the various people in this series. It's been an absolute pleasure of cosmic proportions to bring it to you. So... Steam ahead, Stemsters. Hey, Sylvie, did you like that farewell? Steam ahead, Stemsters. Get it? Because, you know, STEAM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts and Mathematics and Medicine. (laughs) See ya. Thanks to all our student guests. This episode was produced by me, Sylvie Van Wall. The series producers were Buffy Gorilla and Dr. Andy Horvath. This series was made at the University of Melbourne. Check out the webpage for other STEM resources. STEAM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts, and Mathematics and Medicines. <laughs> I didn't get that. Would you get that? <laughs> Is that Siri? <laughs> oh my God, did I just activate Siri? I didn't. Get... I think she must have heard Hey Sylvie and thought it was Hey Sylvie. <laughs> <laughs>